This is Darren Davis, founder and senior leader of the Harbor Church in South Florida, and you are listening to the Harbor Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and others, visit us online at harborchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Morning, so glad to be with you here at Harbor at Home. My name is Wilson Chuchu, and I have the honor this morning to share the word of God with you. Uh, I would like us to start with a word of prayer just to prepare our hearts to, for the word of God. So let's pray. <sighs> Dear God, we, we thank you, God, for the blessing of your word, oh God. Thank you that your word is life. Uh, thank you that your word brings life. Your word brings mercy. Your word brings grace. Your word brings uh, freedom. Uh, your word reveals the heart of the Father to us, O oh God. And just this morning, Lord, we ask you once again that, Lord, you will reveal that to us, Father. Holy Spirit, thank you that you come and breathe afresh onto your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, because you are a comforter, Spirit of God. Come and just bring comfort, bring um, strength, uh, bring courage, Holy Spirit. Uh, we thank you that you come, Holy Spirit, and that you, you touch hearts this morning. Thank you, Lord, that your word is alive. Your word touches our hearts, O oh God, and restores back, O oh God, all that, Lord, you did for us, Jesus. We thank you. We ask these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I know we, we all feel the, the polarization in the world today, the pool of division in our society. The refusal to see the reasoning and goodness in one another, whether in politics or cultural realities, the enemy is actively threatening to tear the fabric of our families and communities, and sadly the church. There are painful and complex conversations that uh, are shaping our future together, but we should not allow. Uh, the enemy to seduce and to steal our hearts from our truest identity. But it's time to anchor our hearts into Jesus than ever before. But not only should we anchor our hearts into Jesus, but we need to allow the Holy Spirit to unify our hearts than never before. This morning I would like to invite us to look at the words of Paul to the, to the Romans church to challenge our hearts towards greater unity. You know, there were specific issues of unity that Romans spoke to the Romans church, but Paul's message has principles that are relevant for us today. Now, I'm not naive to assume that unity is an easy thing to achieve. Governments spend insurmountable resources to try to bring unity and conflictive solutions in the world with little success. But unity is worth fighting for. When Jesus prays for the church in the book of John chapter 17 and verse 20, he specifically prays for unity. And Paul talks a lot about the unity of the body of Christ. So in the book of Romans, chapters 1 to chapter 11, Paul develops the theology of the unity of the body of Christ. He makes the case that the nature of the new life in Christ 
is both for the Jew and the Gentile. Reconciling both to become one new people of God under the new covenant. Both the Jew and the Gentile can claim this new life in Christ based on the finished work on the cross. So today we can talk about ourselves and declare that I'm justified, that I've been redeemed, that I have new life with God, that I have peace with God, that I am free. But Paul makes it clear that God, God is not only saving the Jews there and the Gentiles there, but he has drawn them into perfect unity into the same body. And you know, our unit is not only in doctrine. So beginning from chapters 12 in the book of Romans to chapter 15, Paul shifts the gear to show that the natural place to live this new life in Christ in a practical way is the church. So the two messages of Paul in the book of Romans is one, Jesus does matter, and two, the church does matter. Paul discusses practical ways and practices that the church can engage to live the new life in Christ in everyday life. So he begins in chapter 12, verse 1. He says, Therefore I beg you, brothers and sisters, be renewed in your mind. This is one of the greatest therefore in the scripture. And Paul is in a way saying, in light of all that I have shared with you from chapter 1, chapter, chapter 11, in light of the gospel, of the work of God's grace that gives you the identity in Christ. He says, I beg you. And it's almost like, like Paul is saying in tears because unity does matter. He says, brothers and sisters. Paul is calling them to come back to the very understanding of who they are in Christ. Paul is writing to help them see that what they need in the church is not a Jewish culture or a Gentile culture. What they need is, is a revival of the gospel culture. We need a revival of the gospel culture. And Paul does address the whole church. He's not asking one individual to uh, 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 pick up his performance for Christ. But he's addressing the whole church to pull together its effort for Christ. So there is no room for those who are only interested in individual Christianity. The Christian life is not a private affair. So one, one of the ways that Paul is asking the, the Romans church to renew their mind is to understand that the nature of the new life in Christ is defined by people connected to other people. Do, people doing life together. So Paul wants them to think of themselves as members of one another. And I'm going to read the scriptures, uh, the book of Romans, chapter 12 and verses 1 to verse 2. And I will read from the message translation. I like this commentary because it's, it's, it's very um, practical. It speaks very in, in contemporary language. So Paul says, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and verses 2. Take your everyday life, your ordinary life. You are sleeping, you are eating, going to work, walking a loud life, and place it before God as an offering, embracing what God has does for you 
is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without ever thinking. Instead, be changed from inside out. And like the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of maturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. So this commentary from the message translation cannot be more clear. Paul invites the believers in the Romans church not just to open their hearts to be transformed by the gospel, but also to allow the gospel to transform their relationships, to allow the gospel to transform their culture. The understanding of the, new, of the nature of the new life in Christ should radically impact their relationships. Paul has three, three goals in the book of Romans. Paul wants the church to know the grace of the gospel, one. Paul wants the church to grow in the grace of the gospel, two. And Paul wants the church to show the grace of the gospel. Know the grace of the gospel, grow in the grace of the gospel, and show the grace of the gospel. Now this morning I would like to share two areas that Paul invites the Romans church to show the grace of the gospel by ad- adopting a church unity perspective. And I want to share two areas because they are relevant uh, even this morning as we, we gather at Haba at home. One of the areas is in the practice of ministry gifts and service. And the second area is in the practice of matters of personal conscience. I'll briefly talk about the first one, the practice of ministry gifts and service. Um, and I'll read um, Romans chapter 12, verse 6 to verse 8. Romans 12, 6 to 8 says, again from the message translation. So let's just go ahead and be what we were made to be without enviously or playfully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something we, are, we aren't. If you preach, just preach God's message, nothing else. If you help, just help. Don't take over. If you teach, stick to your teaching. If you give encouraging guidance, be careful that you don't get bossy. If you, if you are put in charge, do not manipulate If you are called to give aid to the people in distress, keep your eyes open and be quick to respond. If you work with the disadvantaged, don't let yourself get irritated with them or depressed by them. Keep a smile on your face. What a translation. What a a clear message to us. And Paul, I know, um, talks about... uh, the ministry gives in the context uh, of relationships within the church. Um, the picture that he uses uh, here of, of talking about unity is that of the human body. This reality that um, there are many members in a relationship with one another. You know, they think about our, themselves as members of others. Each part of the body doesn't exist in and of itself. Each part of the body is important and has a unique function within the body. You know, believers can so easily fall into unhealthy relationship pattern 
you know, when we practice the gifts of, of, of ministry and service within the body. You know, there are those who are happy to let others do it all. And then there's those who would like to pretend to think that they have all the answers. But Paul corrects the Romans church and tells them, just do your little part. You know, the practice of the ministry gifts should be done in the context of relationships. And I think this is very relevant as we um, continue talking about uh, gathering, you know, at, at Haba at home. As we, you know, continue to practice, you know, those ministry gifts that God has uh, given us. Uh, Paul emphasizes that we need to do them within the context of relationship, within the context of, of unity, within the context of boundaries, within the context of allowing uh, every member to, uh, uh, to express uh, their ministry gift. I would like to move next to the next area that Paul invites the Roman church to demonstrate or to show the grace of the gospel by adopting a church unity perspective. And that is in the area of the practice of matters of personal conscience. Again, we'll read from um, the book of Romans. And this is a, a little bit of a, of a longer text when we read it from the message translation. But please bear with me. So Paul says, Romans chapter 14 and verse 1 to verse 9. He says, Welcome with open arms, fellow believers who don't see things the way you do. And don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with. Even when it seems that they are strong on opinions but weak in the faith department. Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. For instance, a person who has been allowed for a while might well be convinced that he can eat anything on the table while another has a different background. Might assume he should only be a vegetarian and eat accordingly. But since both are guests at Christ's table, wouldn't be it terribly rude if they fell to criticizing what the other ate and didn't eat? God, after all, invited them both to the table. Do you have any business closing people off the guest list or interfering with God's uh, welcome? If there are corrections to be made or manners to be learned, God can handle that without your help. <laughs> Verse 5. Or say one person thinks that some days should be set aside as holy and another thinks that each day is split much like the other. There are good reasons either way. So each person is free to follow the convictions of conscience. What is important in all this is that if you keep a holy day, keep it for God's sake. If you eat meat, eat it to the glory of God and thank God for prime rib. <laughs> if you're a vegetarian, eat vegetables to the glory of God and thank God for broccoli. None of us are permitted to insist on our own way in these matters. It's God we are answerable to all the way from life to death and everything in between, not each other. That's why Jesus lived and died and then lived again so that he could be our master across the entire range of life and death and free us from the pretty tyrannies of each other. What a message. You know, and it's, again, I, I mentioned it's relevant within our context of meeting 
at harbor at home and especially in this season when uh when um there are cultural realities and, and, and the issues of politics that we don't all agree on. Uh, you know, and like within the, uh, the Romans church, you know, they had these issues happening which may not be relevant for us today. You know, a, a brother was, was feeling the freedom to, you know, fry a, a bacon that was offending the other brother or the other sister. A sister would feel free to bring a uh, a bottle of wine, uh, a John Walker, into the home fellowship, into the home church, offending the other. They were not doing that in the spirit of love. You know, there was, there was such a tension between the Jewish and the Gentile Christians in the Romans church. There were demands by different groups over three things, as we have read. You know, those who uh, emphasized about eating meat or abs- and those who uh, emphasized about abstaining drinking wine and abstaining and regarding one day as special and all the days as the same. So the dispute here, it centers on matters of personal conscience and conviction, uh, not on matters of doctrine. And Paul use of the, of the word weak and strong. He doesn't, he's not ref- referring to the immaturity or immaturity. Uh, Paul is only saying it speaks about their personal conviction on certain actions and decisions. So Paul's concern here is not who is wrong and who is right. His concern is with unity. Paul tells the Romans church that on matters of personal conscience, we must be unified even when we differ. We can thoughtfully and graciously um, disagree uh, with other brothers on matters of personal conscience. For example, again, you know, on issues of politics and, and, and voting, uh, you know, we, we encourage each one to vote their personal conscience. You know, we, 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 even when uh, we agree on voting on moral issues, we don't all agree on all the points of moral issues that we should be voting for. You know, I think it's, uh, it's evident there is a pick and choose uh, on what issues to support on both parties. And so there's no condemnation over who you choose to vote for. So we do not have to come out of this in conflict, even if we didn't vote the same way, even if we didn't support the same political points. Paul wants to remind the Romans church that unity looks like something. And I want to talk about the three things, mention the three things that Paul um, emphasizes on or points uh, touches on in chapters 14 and chapter 15. And the first one is, that Paul thinks that unity requires us not to sit in judgment over fellow Christians. Again, unity, Paul thinks that unity requires us not to sit in judgment over fellow Christians. You know, Jesus came to make all people, even those of different opinions, equally his. We come at life at different experiences and realities in life. So our personal opinions are going to be different on what issues to support. So a, a church unity perspective is not a matter of agreeing on every issue or every point. Uh, we always talk about that unity is not uniformity. And this is the reality that the church needs unity and diversity to be able to function in our world, to be able to transform the world. We need both 
unity, but also allow the diversity. The second thing that Paul talks about unity is that unity requires limit on our freedom, limit on our liberty. So Paul points here is that even when, even though the strong have the freedom, um, they have not used this their freedom um, in service of what is important, and that is love. You know, he says, you are free to eat any kinds of food you like, but you're never free not to love your brother or your sister. He emphasizes or he points across to them that you need to lay down your rights, your freedoms, your liberties, liberties in the service of love. Um, and I know politics uh, can be very divisive because, you know, politics shapes our lives. Politics uh, deeply affects us. So I understand when, they, when there is, people are passionate about their political points and their political pa- party uh, arguments. Uh, but Paul says we should not allow that uh, at the expense of the love for a brother or a sister in Christ. We can be wrong even when we think we are right. I want to say that again. We can be wrong even when we think we are right. For example, the Pharisees, they were right on most things. They were accurate in their judgment, but they were wrong in judging, hurting people. They failed to look on matters of more importance, matters of mercy, matters of justice, matters of righteousness and faithfulness. The third point I want to talk about, the Paul emphasizes unity requires that we accept one another and work together. Jesus accepted us. And Paul says that Christ is our model. So we must accept each other. And accept, he refers to recognizing others as brothers and sisters in Christ. Oh, I like that gospel language. I know it's not cool today to talk about brothers and sisters in Christ. But I believe Paul calls the believers in the Romans church to that basic, that core understanding of who they are. Brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, Paul, in Paul talks about how God unites the Jew and the Gentile. And if God can unite the Jews and the Gentiles, you know, the church should strive for no less ambitious unity. And the context of this call for Paul to unity is all worship. What is at stake for the unity of the body of Christ is our unity, is our, is our worship. And when people from diverse backgrounds, personalities and, and ages come together in unified worship, it is important for our testimony to a world that is so fractured and contentious. Well, and to say that unity comes from God no, is not to say that we have no responsibility. Actually, the call here is to work at harmonious relationships. You know, just like we do at home, you know, with marriage, uh, you know, with, at workplaces, you know, we have to work out. Uh, and there will be times when um, we will be frustrated, we have setbacks. Uh, so we need to persevere and, and, and have those difficult conversations uh, to maintain um, the unity. We have to be patient to work through with one another. We are responsible to pursue the things that make for peace and build up one another. 
So important. Reminder this morning. Paul rebukes the church at Rome because they were emphasizing on the non-essential. They were emphasizing on things of personal conscience. And Paul reminds them about the non-negotiables that we talk about here at Harbor. The non-negotiables. That is faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. That's all what this gospel is about. Faith, hope, and love. Paul writes to the Romans church to help them see that what they need is not a Jewish culture or a, or a Gentile culture. What they need is a revival of the gospel culture. And when the revival comes, it breaks the loose and the boundaries and the, the cultural hang-ups and the political points. Revival comes. Paul tells uh, the Romans church, get your act together because this thing is about to, re- to explode. The revival is about to come. And I know this because when you read chapter 16, which is the final chapter of the book of Romans, Paul lists some names there, that names. And these names listed there, according to church history, scholars, were used by God to plant churches all over Europe. You know, the names, uh, some of the names are uh, actually the name of the people there, they actually went and preached the gospel to modern-day Britain. They preached the gospel to Iraq. They preached the gospel to Turkey. They preached the gospel to Italy. They preached the gospel to modern-day Bulgaria. So I believe that there was greater unity for this revival to happen. And that's the call of God this morning. As we conclude, I would like us to, to focus our discussion this morning on three uh, the particular questions. And I would like to encourage you as you look at these three, uh, three discussion, discussion questions, I would like to encourage you also to read Romans chapter 12, verse 9 to verse 21. The three questions are, number one, in a culture of disunity, what everyday practices are we engaging to model the unity of Christ to the world? Number two, how have you responded to people who radically differ from you in their political persuasion? And number three, what spiritual disciplines are you participating in to anchor your heart in the gospel of reconciliation? My prayer for us this morning is that our hearts will be unified than never before. That our hearts will be will pulled together this time in our practice of of, of ministry gifts and service and also in our practice of matters of personal conscience that we will be mindful of one another that we will accept each other as brothers and sisters in Christ let's pray Father we thank you God this morning for God just reminding us these basic simple truths oh God that are powerful because this is the gospel culture Lord and I thank you I pray for my brothers and my sisters, Lord, that God, I pray for your body. The Lord, this time will see a, a, a unity of hearts, oh God, than never before. That Lord, you will see a revival of the gospel culture. So God, we thank you. We say yes to you, Lord. Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great discussion as you sit in your homes with friends, with, with family, and whoever you've invited, uh, and talk about this great Uh, gospel uh, of Jesus Christ. Thank you.
Thanks for tuning in to the Harbor Church Podcast. I hope that you were enriched, inspired, and blessed by what you heard. Please subscribe on the podcast app and be sure to follow us on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also download our Harbor Church mobile app. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.